There was a period of time when I thought I was going to leave the army. I ran into him in one of the company rooms and he asked me if I was, uh, what my plans were after this deployment. And I told him, I was like, I'm probably gonna go and join the police department, go to law school, I'm not sure yet. He looked me straight in the face and said, you know, sir, like you inspire us to stay in. And if you leave like that, that impacts the army. And that, that stayed with me, that resonated with me. Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, this is Colonel Retired Dan Roper. Director of National Security Studies at the Association of the United States Army, and welcome to today's episode of Army Matters. We often interview Army and military experts from all walks of life, both those who have served and those who haven't. But for today's episode, we're going within our organization, AUSA, and interviewing someone whose story needs to be told. When he was in high school, Frank Dolbury was told by an acquaintance's mother that his goal of joining the Army and becoming an officer was a dream, mainly because of the color of his skin. But Frank enlisted and quickly moved through the ranks, and today is a major who has been selected for lieutenant colonel and serving as an inspiration to many in the United States Army. Frank is assigned as the Army Fellow here at AUSA, serving as a liaison between our organization and the Pentagon. Over a 16-year career, he's not only been deployed both to Iraq and Afghanistan, but he's lent his skills to the classroom, teaching cadets, and many others. Major Dolbury, welcome to Army Matters. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. We like to ask our guests who are serving, or those who have served, why they joined the Army. What inspired you to do so when you were younger? Yes, sir. My father is a retired uh, Sergeant First Class with uh, 25 years serving. His little brother is a retired Lieutenant Colonel. Their father... He served during the Korean War. I think he made the rank of sergeant. My great-grandfather served during World War II uh, in the Pacific. And so for me, being from a, a Navy town, I had to decide, like, I knew I wanted to serve. And so they were instrumental in, in mentoring me to go the Army route, given that the opportunities that exist in the Army are far greater than serving in another service. So it was the opportunities they described that enticed you to join the sticking point was at the end of the day, uh, college is expensive. And at the time, the Marine Corps essentially said, hey, we don't have any money to give you. So what you can do is pay for school yourself, graduate, enlist in the Marine Corps, and then apply for OCS. In the same vein, the Army ROTC program say, hey, we'll give you a three-year scholarship, which elevated to a four-year scholarship. And the rest was history. But as far as my my dad and my uncle, they were all for me serving. My dad more so wanted me going Army uh, for the idea that the number of opportunities that exist in the Army far outweigh the Marine Corps, which he was correct. And what was the biggest piece of advice that your father gave you when you were signing up? His biggest piece was, well, the funny thing, <laughs> funny thing about him was when I had to decide if I was going to be an officer or go enlisted, his advice was, you need to go officer because you don't listen 
and you will probably get thrown in the brig if you were enlisted, which I didn't understand because I was like, I think I'm a pretty good disciplined person and I follow orders, um, but okay. And so he always got on me because of that. But the big things with him being an NCO was, you know, take care of your soldiers, be at the right place, right time, right uniform. And again, just take care of your soldiers because they'll take care of you. Now, one of your first steps was to enroll at the Virginia Military Institute where you studied history. What attracted you to that subject matter? I'm an avid lover of history. I can't even remember how far back when I just fell in love with the idea of like learning what happened before I came on this earth. So when I had to choose my degree at VMI, I picked history because I wanted to gain more understanding in what took place before me and how do I shape the future? Because you had to understand where you came from in order to proceed forward and how to shape the future you want. Well, it sounds like you're fascinated with history from many different places and times. What historical era did you find to be the most fascinating? So I'd say I've looked at various periods of time, but the one that stands out to me that I, I always find myself drifting back towards is the Napoleonic era, the French Revolution, and the various coalitions that came together to stop Napoleon's rise and his conquest of the European continent. It's interesting because there are some similarities or indicators that you can glean from that as far as how to develop an effective strategy to deal with, you know, a potential near peer or a rising power. It's just, I won't say romantic, but it's just, it's just very interesting how the armies came to be and how uh, there was a, a shift from the old regime as far as kings, queens, and, and royalty to uh, more of a democratic, the people type governments. How has your knowledge of history across different eras aided you in your career? Was there a specific assignment you can tell us about in which you were directly able to apply your knowledge of history? I'm trying to pick the best story. <laughs> so as a planner in, um, in 2nd Infantry Division in uh, Korea, I was tasked with updating the, the operational plan for if war continues on the Korean Peninsula, how would we help the Republic of Korea fight North Korea. It took uh, having to look and, you know, read the book of Fahrenbach's uh, A Different War, and also um, looking back uh, in the period before the Korean War took place and understanding that we can't do it alone. We have to have our allies uh, with us and we have to gain buy-in. And now the fact that Korea has changed since the 50s and the 60s, Allies are more important now than they've ever been. And so that has always been a, uh, a challenge for me of having to reach out to the, the various uh, rock uh, units that we will have to operate with and, and gaining their understanding on how they see the fight shaping. So that way our plans are nested with theirs. And so that way we are doing things together versus against one another. Many of our listeners are veterans and know that one's career is filled with many ups and downs. Can you tell us what the toughest professional moment for you has been over the years? So when I was in company command in Fort Bragg, I didn't have the best commander at the time. He didn't listen to anybody. He thought he knew everything. And so in my mind, I was like, I think I'm done. This isn't fun. I'm going to go do something else. But then an opportunity came up where I could go to selection for a special operations unit. And so I signed up for it because 
as far back as I can remember, I constantly read about this organization. I at least wanted to try to join them. And so I was able to try out. I did not make it, but the level of professionalism that I saw and encountered and the people that I, I met along the way reinvigorated my desire to serve and be around upstanding people. I mean, smarter folks, stronger folks, which wanted, again, caused me to want to read more, always strive to be the best example of myself I could possibly be day in and day out. And so that was a tough moment, like where I made the decision to like, I'm going to go do this uh, versus, you know, leaving the army because I don't know where I would be if I had left. Well, I'm really glad that that experience pushed you to stay in. We have to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Major Dolbury about something else that spurred him to continue his Army journey and how he thinks the Army could do a better job recruiting. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA, which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop.ausa.org. We're back and we're speaking with Major Frank Dolbury, the current Army fellow here at AUSA. Every one of us are influenced by our leaders, our peers, and our subordinates. Can you tell us a story about somebody who's been very influential in your professional development in the U.S. Army? So I'd say there are two individuals that stand out to me that have influenced me to continue to serve and to understand that it's it's greater than me. I would say I would attribute to... uh, one of my NCOs as a, as a young lieutenant, as, after we came back from Iraq after a 14-month deployment, there was a period of time when I thought I was going to leave the Army. I ran into him in one of the company rooms, and he asked me if I was uh, what my plans were after this deployment. And I told him, I was like, I'm probably going to go and join the police department, go to law school. I'm not sure yet. He looked me straight in the face and said, you know, sir, like, you inspire us to stay in. And if you leave like that, that impacts the army. And that, that stayed with me, that resonated with me because I knew it was not about just me. Inspiring people to continue to serve is one of the, one of the greatest benefits of being an army officer. Going forward, I listened to the story of one of my bosses, Brigadier General Arnold Gordon Bray, who at the time he was a Fulbright Colonel and he was, was on his second deployment to Iraq. And he found out he made the 07 list and at the time, his mind was set to retire. But having the discussion with his um, with his family and his mother-in-law was there. And his mother-in-law told him, like, it's not about you. There are people behind you that see the accomplishments that you're making and that's, that it's inspiring them to continuing to serve. And you got to understand that the, the foundation that you lay out with your career, the people coming behind you build off that foundation. Who did you look up to? other than your family members, of course, when you started to serve? So deciding to serve, I looked up to various military leaders, Patton, MacArthur, General Ridgway. But again, there were leaders that looked like me that gave me the idea that I can do this as well. Because for whatever reason, there were I've encountered folks that told me I just couldn't do something. And that has been one of the biggest motivators to, I can do this, I'm going to do this, because why not me? And so that's been a big uh, motivator as far as continuing to serve, uh, because there have been people that have told me that I can't do it, that this is not for me. Really? People told you that? Early on, 
I vividly remember someone telling me, oh, you're just, that's just a kid dream. You'll grow out of that. You don't really want to go in the military. That's just some child fantasy. So it, it did my heart justice when I was uh, getting ready to commission. And uh, I came back and saw that same person. Like, oh, so what are you doing after college? Oh, come May 2006, I'm going to commission as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. And I'm slated to go to Fort Stewart, Georgia, where I will eventually deploy to Iraq. And the look on their face was was justice. So can you recall who that was? My ex-girlfriend's mother. I had a small high school class. And so my ex-girlfriend told her mom, she was like, Frank wants to go in the army and be an army officer. Her mom was just not interested. So, Well, you certainly disproved that assessment. Now, regarding the topic of recruiting and diversity, the Army's undergoing its biggest recruiting challenge since at least Vietnam, when the world and the country were a much different place. What are your thoughts on the challenges of recruiting today? So this recruiting challenge, it's a multifaceted problem. Those in my generation that when 9-11 happened, a lot of us were either getting ready to join the Army or we decided to join the Army. Um, Now you have a lot, you have a population where 9-11 9-11 is in the history books for them. They didn't, they didn't see the towers. They didn't see, you know, the Pentagon and, and, the, and Flight 93. I would say the, the biggest thing, and we, we kind of touched on this, the fact that a lot of the soldiers that are serving now have family uh, that have served prior to them. So they know someone that served, and that's, that's inspired them to serve. And I think the Chiefs, Chief Staff of the Army has mentioned this before. We have to close that gap um, between those that are serving and the rest of the nation, because the army is a microcosm of society. What I will say, like for us as service members, we have to have the conversation and be willing to have the conversation to talk to those that don't serve because that's how we continue to gain interest. Yes. The army is not perfect. We have our challenges just like every other profession in the United States. Um, But that does not mean that the army is, should not be an option. There are a ton of opportunities um, for people to progress and to gain experiences that they can take out into the private sector. There's a whole gamut of things that you can do while you're serving in the United States Army. If you were put in charge of recruiting and had a magic wand, so we're, we're doing two things, one will probably happen before the other. How would the Army and the other services effectively and proactively engage what would it look like in a high school or what would it look like on a team or through coaches or through influencers? So continual interaction with the local population, bases like Fort Bragg, Fort Hood, if they are interacting with the, the local population there, just showing that, hey, we're your army. We are the United States Army. We represent the people. Having that on top of not only the cities where bases are, but also the areas where there aren't any military. Those are the key areas. And oddly enough, those places tend to have a high sense of patriotism or love for their country because they know they know the hard work and effort that the armed services and the army we do day in and day out. So continually to talk to the population, show them, you know, all the good things that that we do for the country, not only outside the borders, but inside the borders. Because national disasters, when the, the COVID response, the U.S. Army bared a heavy burden going to various cities and, and helping you know, administer the vaccine and helping cities um, deal with that crisis. Very well said. 
thanks, Frank, for your service to the U.S. Army, building upon the tremendous legacy of service started by your parents, grandparents, and entire family. It's inspirational to hear how you've used adversity to push yourself to even greater heights. And though we've only worked together here at AUSA for a few months, I can already say that we've learned a lot from you, and I hope our listeners did today also. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Sarah. Players was all mine. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at Have a great Army day. Hua. <laughs>